Let's pray together as we open the word of God once more together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the life that you have given to us, for creating us, allowing us a season of time on this earth. None of us know, Lord, when you will call us home. If some of us live a hundred years, it will be a remarkable, amazing thing. But Lord, a hundred years is a, just an incredibly brief span of time compared to the eternity that awaits us. Lord, after 460 trillion years on the new earth, it will be like day one because it is eternity, Lord. And we look forward so much to seeing you, as we've sung already this morning, seeing you face to face, being with you in healed, glorified, everlasting bodies, being more amazed every day by you, your greatness, your goodness, your power, falling more and more and more in love with you as eternity rolls on. Lord, you are so good to us. Your promises are 100% true all the time, and we know this is coming. And so, Lord, today I pray that as we open your word, you would once again come, Spirit, and encourage our hearts, bolster us in whatever way you need to, Lord, fortify us for another week coming. Some of us have difficult moments coming this week that we know about. Some of us will have difficult moments that we don't know anything about. But Lord, through it all, you are never surprised. You are with us. You are faithful. You are Lord. And you are, Lord, the, the, the Lord of our entire lives, whether mountaintop experiences or difficult sorrows, you are with us. And we praise and thank you for another time that we get to open your word together. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday, if you were with us, we began a an abbreviated uh, two-sermon series on what is coming. And what's coming, friends, is a renovated, purged, restored earth upon which believers in Jesus Christ will live eternally in resurrected bodies. Amen? And this morning our plan is to just briefly consider three more features of the new earth. And if you're a person where, where you're, you've come in today and your level of hope is low, I've been praying this week that your hope, your level of hope will increase, that it will strengthen as you consider what's coming. Now, about five and a half years ago now, uh, we spent three weeks in a sermon series entitled God and the Nations. Some of you may have been at Snowden during that time. Prior to the start of that series, we surveyed the congregation to find out which nation each person was born in. And it ended up at that time that we had a total of 25 nations. And for the duration of that sermon series, we flew each of the 25 national flags up here at the front and a good memory for me, and probably you too, is that one of those Sundays we had just a tremendous international banquet after the service. It really was fantastic. Good memory. 
<laughs> well, when that series was preached uh, at the start of 2018, the Snowden congregation, listen to how beautiful this is, was made up of people born in Antigua, Bahamas, Barbados, Brazil, Cameroon, Canada, Colombia, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, El Salvador, France, Ghana, Grenada, Guyana, Haiti, Iran, Italy, Jamaica, Japan, Nicaragua, Nigeria, the Philippines, St. Vincent, Trinidad, and Tobago, the United Kingdom, and the United States. <laughs> and I'm sure that if we updated that list now, we'd find people, of course, born in other additional nations to those just mentioned. But here's the point. Being together as we are this morning to worship the Lord with, with our roots in so many different nations, we are a blessed picture of what David expressed in Psalm 86, verse 9, when he said, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. My friends, ethnically and culturally diverse local churches like ours, where the nations are brought together, unified in Jesus Christ, at worship before him, we are like, and I want you to hear this, we are like powerful, powerful signposts to the world of the reality that God desires and that God will have in the new heavens and the new earth. I want to go on record as saying this morning that monochrome churches that have only one predominant ethnicity or one predominant culture represented in their pews, they are missing the biblical mark. Come with me to the book of Revelation where we have descriptions of the final eternal worshiping community that Jesus has ransomed and that he has unified by his blood. And our first stop this morning is Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. The context here is that the four living creatures and the 24 elders are on their faces before the Lamb who was slain. They are bowing before Jesus Christ and they sing a new song before him. They sing to Jesus, listen to what they sing, I don't know what the tune was, so I won't try to duplicate it here. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from what? Every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, this is certainly a Christ-centered song, is it not? It celebrates His work on the cross. It's a song that glorifies and magnifies 
Jesus. But notice very carefully the description of the kingdom of priests who will reign with Jesus on the earth. That eternal kingdom of priests will be comprised, we need to know this, of folks from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is a vision given by God of the final eternal kingdom that is made up of people who are drawn out of every ethnicity and culture, saved, unified together by the blood of the Lamb. Sudanese, Bolivians, Chinese, Albanians, Russians, Mexican, you name it. The renewed, restored, purged, renovated earth will be the eternal home to this genuinely, think of it, genuinely united, genuinely united, beautiful spectrum of cultures, skin colors, ethnicities, people from everywhere, everywhere who have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, a multicolored, multi-ethnic, multicultural bride of Christ, humbled under her beautiful Savior Christ Jesus, no more hints anywhere of racial superiority, no more fractures, no more splits, no more suspicions along racial or national lines, no trace of hierarchies that are based on skin color, just this redeemed, blood-bought, diverse, beautiful, unified human community, redeemed image bearers from the nations living together and worshiping together for all eternity. Now it's hard for us to even imagine what it will be like in that day. This is a breathtaking vision, isn't it? that Revelation gives to us. And praise God, our little congregation on the corner of Earnscliff and Isabella in its present form reflects God's future. I invite you to look around this morning and you, what do you see? You see many nations worshiping together under the same Lord. Just like our sign says out front, right? What a beautiful and I would say very countercultural thing this is. Well, let's go also, while we're in Revelation, let's go to Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. So, John has just heard about the 144,000. We won't get into that this morning. <laughs> He's just heard about the 144,000, and he says that he looked, and behold, a great multitude, mark those words, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Imagine the multitude crying this out together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
So what John sees here, friends, is a, just a fantastic vision, isn't it, of the eternal, blood-bought, international community at worship. Now, do notice that phrase in verse 9, a great multitude that no one could number. Well, this phrase is a direct throwback to Genesis chapter 17, where Abraham was promised that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. And it turned out that Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ, was the one who ultimately created what was promised to Abraham. By his cross and his resurrection, Jesus created what? He created a ransomed international community from the nations called the church, which is comprised of what Galatians 3 calls sons and daughters of Abraham. Did you know, Gentile person, that you are a son or a daughter of Abraham? It's true, according to Galatians chapter 3, whether Gentiles or Jewish believers, we are all sons and daughters of Abraham. We are the fruits of God's promise to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. But notice, as it had been in our Revelation 5 passage, so it is here in Revelation 7. Here also we have this fourfold description of the eternal worshiping community. It's going to be a community that hails from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, redeemed people from everywhere. Randy Alcorn invites us to imagine, just imagine, what our eternal worship on the new earth will be like. And he's inviting us here to get excited about that. He says this, quote, Consider, just for a moment, consider what, what it will be like to see the Maasai of Kenya, the Dinka of Sudan, the Hmong, Athabascans, Tibetans, Aukans, Icelanders, Macedonians, Moldovans, Moroccans, and Peruvians, hundreds of nations, thousands of people groups gathered to worship Christ. <laughs> what great glory this will bring to God, amen? What richness it will be for us. The ethnic, national, cultural diversity, living eternally in genuine, lasting harmony under the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. This is a feature, friends, that we can expect and look forward to on the new earth. I mean, think of it. We will have eternity... Think of it. We'll have eternity in our new home to spend time with people from the Balkans, people from Namibia, people from Sri Lanka, learning their languages, learning and seeing the good things in their cultures that God in his wisdom preserves and purifies. All sinful traces and influences gone forever. But now there's a further feature of the new earth, the renovated earth that I want us to consider. Now do you remember, Bible trivia time, do you remember the name of the tree that Adam and Eve ate from that plunged the world into trouble? I'll give you the answer. 
It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them not to eat from that tree, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Now listen, on the level of human technological advancement, in the years and centuries since Adam and Eve ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there are many examples in history, many discoveries, many inventions that have a definite good side and a definite evil side. We human beings have proven, haven't we, to be very adept at coming up with things that are like a two-sided coin. Good uses, but also evil potentials. For example, we figured out how to split atoms. Nuclear energy, nuclear technology can be used for good purposes, of course, can it not? It can be helpful in the process of making accurate medical diagnoses. It can be helpful also, for example, in space exploration. Several other good things about nuclear technology, but of course we all know the bad and the very horrific side of nuclear discovery, which Japan knew firsthand in 1945. The knowledge of good and evil. Another example of a good and evil two-sided knowledge that has recently been unleashed by humans is artificial intelligence. AI has many good purposes, helpful purposes, but it also has the potential, I think you would agree, to go very bad in all sorts of ways. Now, human technology can certainly go bad, but that doesn't mean that all human technological advancement is bad. Once again, human technology can certainly go bad, but that doesn't mean that all human technological advancement is bad. In fact, when God instructed Adam and Eve to have dominion and respected the rest of creation, so biblically speaking, we need to understand that there is a certain, listen, a certain rightness about human technological development and advancement if it is done under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes, our sinfulness has distorted, has tainted our technologies, and as we mentioned, there is a great deal of human creativity that has been used for very evil purposes, the internet included. But nevertheless, God expected human ingenuity, invention, discovery, right from the start. And I would argue with the host of other theologians and biblical commentators, on the renovated earth that is coming, God will take the developments that we have achieved in science, in the arts, craftsmanship, etc. He will divinely, we can't even understand how it will ha happen, but He will divinely purge and purify them of all traces of distortion and sin, 
God being God, He can do that. He will transform human advancements in ways that we can't currently imagine, and He will make them all utterly subject to Himself. But those developments, discoveries, technological advancements will not be utterly erased. We're not going to go backwards to the Stone Age. In Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17, we have Isaiah prophesying in this section of Isaiah concerning the new earth. And under the inspiration of the Lord, Isaiah says in verse 21 that the people on the new earth will do what? Build houses and inhabit them. And they shall what? plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Well, okay, you're building a house on the new earth. How exactly do you build a vaulted ceiling for your new home on the new earth? And how do you properly frame the walls of your new house? And what's the process in leveling your foundation? And concerning vineyards, how do you irrigate them effectively and properly to maximize your yield of fruit? The point is that there's at least a hint here in Isaiah 65 that human know-how will continue from this fallen earth to the renovated earth and not only continue but increase greatly. We can only imagine, can't we, what sorts of accomplishments we might be able to reach in glorified, resurrected bodies with thousands upon thousands upon billions of years at our disposal. Listen again to Randy Alcorn here. He says this, quote, In this world, world that we live in, even under the curse Human imagination and skill have produced some remarkable works. Would you agree? He lists a bunch here. The statues of Easter Island, Stonehenge, Shakespeare's plays, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Golden Gate Bridge, baseball, heart transplants, prenatal surgery, Microwave ovens, the space shuttle, chocolate ice cream. Now he's talking my language. Pecan pie. How did we figure that out? Sports cars. He says it's a list that never ends. And then he wonders, with the resources God will lavishly give us on the new earth, what will we be able to accomplish together? He says, when we think of this, we should be like little children anticipating Christmas. Sneaking out of bed to see what's under the Christmas tree. Are you excited, my friends, about the new earth? Well, this morning, we've talked only briefly about these two features of the renovated earth. It's blessed, ransomed, international, unified, eternal community. And also, the fact that human technological advancements will survive 
on the new earth, although made holy, purged and purified of all evil, and they will develop further, won't they, into the eternal future to the glory of God. Well, the final feature that we'll hone in on this morning, and then we'll be done, no doubt the most important of all, are you ready for it, is this feature. God's personal presence with us on the new earth. Now listen, six weeks ago, when Coyote was preaching, he reminded us once again about the everlasting desire that God has to be with His people. And there are so many passages throughout the Bible that confirm this. I'll give you a small sampling of such passages. They would include Exodus 6-7. God says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Leviticus 26, verse 12, And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua, to Jeremiah, God said, I am with you, or I will be with you. And Zechariah 2, verse 10, Behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst declares the Lord. And again in verse 11, I will dwell in your midst. Yes, God comes down to be with His people in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus expresses, doesn't He? He expresses His desire as He prays to the Father in John 17. He expresses His desire that His people would be with Him where He was to see His glory. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 28, Behold, I am what? With you, how often? Always to the end of the age. So there is this river, friends, that courses through the entire Bible from start to finish. This great theme of God's desire to be with His people. And here is something I find absolutely amazing that relates directly to that theme and to the renovated earth that is coming. And to see this amazing thing, come with me for a moment back to your Old Testament, to 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. Again, we're talking here about God's desire to be with His people. To be present with His people. Now, now 1 Kings 6 is a sort of cataloging of the building of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. This chapter details all the cedar, all the cypress, all the stone that was used in the construction of the temple, along with the measurements, if you're a measurement person, all the measurements, I don't know what a measurement person is, but if you like measurements, <laughs> includes all the measurements of various sections of the structure, and of course, in that temple structure was a section called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. This was the section of the temple where the most direct 
fullest presence of God was manifested. And only the high priest of Israel could enter that section of the temple once per year. The Holy of Holies. So the construction details for that particular section of Solomon's temple are given in verse 20. Notice, it says the inner sanctuary, talking about the Holy of Holies, was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he, Solomon, overlaid it with pure gold. Now notice the measurements. 20 by 20 by 20. What's being described here, friends, is a cube-shaped holy of holies. A perfect cube. And this is the only cube that is described in the entire Old Testament. This place in the temple where the most direct presence of God dwells. Well, with that in mind, come with me now to Revelation 21. In this chapter, the Apostle John is describing the new Jerusalem, which according to verses 2 and verse 10, will come down from heaven, from God. And we notice in verse 3, notice verse 3, first of all, that as the new Jerusalem comes down from God, there is a furtherance of that scriptural river that we talked about. God's desire throughout the Bible to be with His people. Revelation 21.3 has that voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, the dwelling place of God is where? with man, with humanity. He will dwell with them. Are you excited? And they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. That is a very important culminating sort of verse in the entire Bible. But what I want us to see especially is verse 16 where John tells us that the entire New Jerusalem is cube-shaped. He says of the city, its length and width and height are equal. It is cube-shaped, and it's not for nothing that John includes that information, of course. Remember, friends, the richest, fullest, most apparent presence of God in Solomon's temple was in that cube-shaped Holy of Holies. The New Jerusalem, friends, this massive city, which is our eternal home, is (laughs) cube-shaped. So that the New Jerusalem is, listen, the new gigantic Holy of Holies where God will be with His people forever in His richest, fullest presence. His up-close presence will fill the place and we, His people, will experience it in an intensely personal way. Are you ready? Not yet because you don't have your glorified body. Friends, it will be unfathomably great 
imagine meeting God face to face and Him wiping away every tear for all the sorrows that you have encountered in this life? No more dying. It will be unfathomably great. Now, especially it will be great when we consider those passages in the Old Testament where seeing God up close, seeing God as we remain in our state of fallenness, is described as either life-threatening or traumatizing. God said to Moses in Exodus 33.20, you cannot see my face. He's talking to the greatest prophet who ever lived aside from Jesus. Moses, you cannot see my face. Why? For man shall not see me and live. And when the prophet Isaiah caught a vision of our holy God in his throne room, Isaiah basically broke down at that moment and cried out, I'm undone. I'm ruined. That vision of God almost caused Isaiah to fray apart. Well, with those stories in mind, the promise of Revelation 22.4 should astonish us. It should just astonish us. Where we are told, friends, that God's servants will see His face. Imagine. You will see His face. It's very clear that you and I will need to be in our glorified, resurrected bodies if we would see God's face. Otherwise, we would be obliterated at the sight. And God is going to give us such bodies. Oh, to see Him face to face. To live with Him and enjoy Him forever. Thank You, Lord. So what will be then the most important feature of the renovated earth? I can't put it any better than Wayne Grudem has put it. He says, more important than all the physical beauty of the heavenly city, more important than the fellowship we will enjoy eternally with all God's people from all nations and periods of history, more important than our freedom from pain and sorrow and physical suffering, and more important than reigning over God's kingdom, more important by far than any of these will be the fact that we will be in the presence of God and enjoying unhindered fellowship with Him. Do you know that God will eternally be your satisfaction, your fulfillment, I'm also going to quote Bruce Milne here. He says, To be consciously with God, to see Him face to face, to have opened to us even a measure of His infinite depths of love, holiness, compassion, righteousness, faithfulness, sovereignty, mercy, joy, and beauty. He says, This is a program of discovery, a program of discovery which will afford enough to occupy, to entrance, to amaze, to delight and fulfill us into the endless depths of eternity. 
My friends, every successive day in eternity will be a day of being more amazed with God than we were the day before. Well, I wonder, finally, if you are looking forward with me to the renovated, purged, renewed earth. Are you looking forward to it? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm here to tell you that your hope will not disappoint. But my friend, if you are a person who has not yet repented of your sin before him, if you have not received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the crucified, risen, soon-coming Christ, if you die still in your sins, your destination will not, will not be eternal life on the new earth. Rather, it will be a place called hell. The Bible is very clear. And so I say to you today, very simply, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Turn to Jesus and be saved from the wrath to come. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins by the blood that He shed on the cross. Confess with your mouth, says Scripture, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And for those of us who are His people already, for those of us who have repented, trusted, received Him, here's the word to you this week. Live holy. Live holy in the power of the Spirit. Live worshipfully in everything you do. Your, your present worshipful lifestyle right now is preparing you for life on the new earth. Redeem the time. Why? Because He's coming soon. Pray. Even as you put gas in your car this week, I know it's a mundane thing, but pray as you're doing that. Don't bother looking at the numbers. They're never going to come down. <laughs> pray as you drive your child to the dentist, as you butter your toast in the morning. Whatever you do, pray that God will bring to your remembrance throughout the day what's coming, the coming reality of the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, friends, we are waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for this great reality. In the words of Titus 2.13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you await His return and the renovated earth that will come with it, Live circumspectly under God and glorify Him in all you do. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the promises you have given in Scripture are so wildly fantastic and breathtaking that we can barely fathom and imagine them. But Lord, there they are. And again, your record of keeping your promises is a hundred percent, Lord. We know what is coming. We thank you that from the beginning, Lord, you are the Alpha and Omega. You know the end from the beginning. And right from the beginning, Lord, 
of created time, you knew exactly the plan, the purpose, the design, the direction, everything, Lord, and you are steering everything toward your conclusion. And it is a blessed conclusion, and we thank you. We pray, Lord, as we walk out into the world this week, lift our hearts in the hope of the gospel. Be God to us. Show your faithfulness and goodness and love in so many creative and beautiful ways to each of us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.